to our hearts. The Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. Thanks, Colleen. Today I'll be speaking about um, God, the Trinity, and who he is shapes both how we relate to him and who he is also shapes how we relate to one another. And I'm going to be speaking from uh, Galatians 4, from this section, uh, 4 to 8, because it speaks about the basic Christian experience. And this is a very early letter of Paul's Galatians. So very early on for Christians, he had a deep understanding that God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are intimately related to how we're saved and what we're saved into. So who God is matters. That's what I'm saying. Matters to the kind of relationship you have with him and matters to the kind of relationships we have with one another. So let me just go through uh, the section we've had read for us. Paul firstly speaks about a problem. He says um, in chapter 4, verse 3, In the same way we also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the elements of the world. He also speaks about our problem in chapter 3, verse 10. He says that all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse because it is written, everyone who does not do everything that is written in the book of the law is cursed. So we've got a big problem. And then he says, when the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And then Paul will speak about the consequence. He says, So, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. So God overcomes this problem that I'll, I'll unpack a little bit later about being cursed and not having life. And he speaks about two aspects. He says that there's this aspect of being redeemed to adoption. So you're pulled out into a really special relationship of adoption. And that means that you're an heir with Christ. So you receive the great inheritance together with Christ. And we also see that we have the special presence of God. We receive the gift of the Spirit of the Son. So adoption and presence, they're the two gifts that Paul uses to describe the basic Christian experience of salvation. And this requires an understanding of God, who is God the Father, who is God the Son, and who is God the Spirit. It's only because God is Father, Son, and Spirit that the Son could take on flesh in history, lead a life under the power of the Spirit, in full obedience to God the Father as the righteous one, that we can then receive the benefits that he's earned for us. So let me um, go through these two aspects of salvation, adoption and the presence of the Spirit. And I want to do so by using an illustration. If we could have the first slide up, that would be great. Okay, last year there were a bunch of us who went to San Antonio and we had the privilege of um, being at this big conference for about 4,000 people, and in the evenings, you could go out and go to these different uh, restaurants. And the cool thing was that I went to uni with um, a friend of mine 
who belongs to a family that are publishers and they threw a great party. So I was on the invite list and it was such a cool party that another friend of mine wrote to me a few days beforehand and he's like, is there anything you can do to get me into this party, right? So I rock up on the evening of the party, I go to the front of the restaurant and straight away, having grown up in um, Argentina in Latin America and this being a Mexican restaurant, as soon as I get to the doorway, mmm, I'm smelling it, okay? Beef, slow cooked, okay? I'm picking up chicken. <laughs> and this sort of burnt capsicum and corn. And the rice has something funky in it, okay? So I'm looking forward to it, I want to go in. And then I'm hearing chatter, I'm hearing laughter, I'm hearing a mariachi band. I really, really want to go in. This looks like a lot of fun. So I go up to the door, but at the door there's this, this mountain of a man. And he says, and who are you? He leans right down on me. And so <clears throat> with my Aussie accent, I'm like, I'm Scott Harawa from Victoria. Anyway, at the same time, the owner happened to be behind him, the owner of the publishing company that's throwing the party. And he turns around and goes, oh, Scott, I'm so happy you're here comes out, puts his arm around me, come in, friend, he says, and then he walks me into the party. We go down, down the stairs into this big open patio. The band is there, it is a mariachi band, which means this is going to be a lot of fun. There's a huge banquet which is already going on, and with his arm around me, he, he walks me through the dance floor to meet some people and kind of greases the wheels for me so I feel welcome into the party. And as we go through the dance floor, he says, I hope to see you here a bit later, right? And I'm like, yeah, it's going to be good. So it was a great party. And this illustrates these two aspects. I was on the invite list to the party, okay? Because they had put me on the invite list, right? I was called into and invited into a special relationship, a belonging to this party, to this group of people, through something that they had done. They had put me on the list. And I had a special status. I was an invitee to this great party. And also, he was the one who came, and he put his arm around me, and he himself took me into this party. So we have a special status, adoption, and the accompaniment of the one who takes you into this new relationship. I want to unpack a little bit about Christ and his work that enables us to belong in this special status, this special group of people that belong in God's great party, the great banquet that is going to be belonging with God forever. What Christ has done, if you want to open up your Bibles, is that Christ has redeemed us, as it says in Galatians 3.13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. And what Paul is talking about here is that we had a problem. Is that people have not been able to relate to God according to God's law and instruction. And if you try to do that and you fail... As the Old Testament tells us, you haven't chosen life. You will be cursed. All right? And that's the human problem. We can't live up to what it is to be an image of God. We don't live in a fitting way to participate in God's people. We just can't do it. And maybe you're not from a Jewish background and maybe you didn't try to relate to God through the law. Well, then you've also got a problem. And that is, as Paul says here in chapter 4, 
um, 4 verse 3, in the same way when you were children you were in slavery under the elements of the world. There is wisdom out in the world that you can perceive through nature. But there's also malevolent spirits out there. And you are under the rulership and under the influence of the prince of the air and those elemental spirits in the universe. And you need to be set free from them. And you can't even draw on the wisdom from nature to relate to God. So you're stuck either way. You're not in a position to relate to God fully as an image of God. So what God does is he himself comes down, the second person of the Trinity takes on flesh, and for us, he takes on the curse, the rejectedness, the punishment, God's wrath, that we deserve. And he hangs on a tree, he takes that curse, so that you can have the fullness of life that is proper to somebody who wants to belong into God's household. But how can you receive the fullness that belongs to someone who's going to be an heir of God with Christ? Like That's a massively exalted position. It's not just that you get in with your Aussie passport. You actually need to be right with God in such a way that it's appropriate and fitting for you to be an heir with Christ. How do you get that? Well, it's that there's an exchange that happens on the cross. Just as he takes on the curse for you, as it says in Galatians 3, 6, that we, like Abraham, when we have faith, something changes. 3, 6. When you believe God, it's credited to you as righteousness. You go from being someone who is under a curse, sinful before God, who's failed to reach God and reach the status that's appropriate to you, to suddenly having the status of being righteous in God's eyes. So there's a wonderful exchange. That's how the reformers speak about it. And they use an illustration of a poor person who marries a very wealthy prince. The poor person receives the wealth of the prince and the prince swallows up the poverty and the debts of the poor person, the poor bride, right? And what happens with us is Christ swallows up our curse and our sin and we receive his righteousness. And what's important is, and this relates to the Trinity, Christ is righteous because the Spirit drove him to live such a life that he was actively and passively 100% righteous and obedient before God for the whole course of his life. He was faithful to God where Adam failed, where Israel failed. Jesus was righteous. And that righteousness, that quality of life is given to you. Therefore, you can be an inheritor, an adopted heir with Christ. That's the status that you have. It's a full status. It's a rich status. You don't just slip in the door because you know someone like I did. You actually have the status, which means it's fit for you to join into this party, into this life of being with God. It's amazing. And then there's a gift on top of that. The gift is, as it says in 3 verse 14, uh, he's, he's talking about the blessings of Abraham, that you receive the promised spirit through faith. So Christ hangs on the tree for you to take the curse and you receive the promised spirit. 
So not only are you righteous, not only is it right that you're adopted, but you receive the presence of God. Get this, the gift of salvation, it's the gift of God himself. The gift of the immaterial, eternal being who brought everything into place. That is the gift you get. Okay? And it's not just an abstract, distant spirit. Notice here, and it's very important, that we receive adoption as sons, chapter 4, verse 5. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. It's the spirit of the son. The power and the spirit of God himself that shapes us, not just in general, but it's the spirit, the searcher of the depths of God, the searcher also of the depths of humanity because he knows what it is like to be a human and to struggle in this world. So he's the searcher of the depths in two ways. He knows the depths of God. He knows the depths of humanity, as Hebrews tells us. Jesus grew okay, under the Spirit in knowledge and through testing. It's this same Spirit that comes to dwell within you. So what's going to happen? Firstly, you're going to have this great intimacy with God. You call out, Abba, Father. Notice it's the same first line from the Lord's Prayer, our Father, okay? So you participate in the same kind of intimacy that the Son in flesh as the Messiah had with God the Father. You participate in that kind of intimacy that Jesus had with God his Father. That's the gift. That's the intimacy that you receive. Moreover, as Paul puts it here in 4.19, my children, I'm again in suffering labor pains so that Christ is formed in you. Because the Spirit is the Spirit of Christ, then it's appropriate that Christ be formed in you. He is a Spirit who can bring about Christ-likeness because he knows what that's all about. So the transformation that's going to happen in you is a very particular transformation. You're going to relate to God in a very intimate and special way and you're going to relate to others in a very intimate and special way. So it's not just transformation in general, it's Christian transformation. So you're going to relate to God because God is the Trinity in such a way that you relate as a righteous one, as an adopted one, as one who has an intimate, special relationship with God, because God is the Trinity. If God were not God the Trinity, you couldn't relate to the Father through the Spirit, given the work of Christ. You couldn't relate in that way. It would be a different kind of relationship you'd have with a soul, distant God, for example, who was just a force in the world. You'd have an entirely different relationship with God. But the relationship that we have with God the Trinity is very particular because that's who he is. And now I want to move on to talk about the kind of relationship that we'll have with one another because God is God the Trinity. Christ is born within us, so he is um, formed in us, he is shaped in us, and we become like him. What does that mean for our relationships with one another? It's one of the key questions that Christians have struggled with uh, throughout the centuries. What, what is it like to imitate Christ? What, what does that look like? Before I unpack that, just think about the party illustration in San Antonio. 
So you go down into the party, the host has welcomed you and he's kind of shaped you into the kind of relationships that are taking place. Uh, how would he like me to behave? He doesn't want me to be an idiot, does he? He doesn't want me to wreck the party. He wants me to add to the party. Uh, perhaps in such a way as a particular, uh, if we could have the next slide, particular faculty member that you may, may or may not recognize, that may or may not be Mike Bird, I'm not sure, uh, in the middle there. We, you can talk to Mike about that later. But Mike was there too, and he certainly embodied the spirit of the party. Uh, that's Mike in the middle, maybe. Uh, or maybe not. Um, so <clears throat> we'll, we'll get back to that slide, so we can leave that to the side for now. Maybe we'll go to the next one. Well, they were at the party, and Mike did something very cool. Uh, we had our own table, okay? We were set up with a bunch of guests, and everybody at the party, there was this nice feeling that we were all in it together. The architecture of the party lent itself to that. All the tables were by the riverside. There were no high tables, no low tables. Um, everybody was kind of on the same level, the same banquet food for everybody. You had equal access. It was like a buffet sort of thing. But the problem was the party was very popular. And even though everybody sort of had access to everything and we were all alongside one another in a sense, the place got very full and towards the end of the evening, there were some random people looking for tables. We were very comfortable in our table, right? There were maybe, I don't know, eight of us. We kind of had two tables. But then Mike turns around and he noticed these people looking for a table. He got us all to bunch up together and then he called over these people we had no idea who they were to come and join us and share in our table. I thought that was great. That was Mike was organizing us so that we could serve these other people by asking them to join into our table. And you know what? It added to their evening. It added to our evening. It was great. And what happened in that moment was that Mike was embodying the spirit of what it is to be a guest at a banquet but a particular spirit that Paul speaks about in Galatians. See, for Paul, it's very important, if you go to chapter 3, uh, 27, that there is a sense of unity and equal belonging to Christ. So how we relate to each other is described with the following as the basis. For those who are baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. So you've, you've put on Christ, you've put on his righteousness, his spirit dwells within you. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then your Abram's seed is according to the promise. And then he will go and unpack uh, the basis for that in God the Trinity. So there is what I like to call an alongsidedness to the relationships that we have as Christians. We're alongside one another. We're just alongside one another. You know, there's a certain egalitarianism to do with salvation. We all belong in the same way, to the same degree, in the unity that is proper to those who've been baptized in Christ. And that means you serve one another. You've been set free to serve. If you want to move over to chapter 5. Well, what does this calling mean? Chapter 5.13. It means you're called to be free, okay? Free from bondage. But it's, it's not, so you use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but to serve one another through love. So what Mike did was, he knew that we were all equal together in the party. He makes room 
and our table to serve the others. So he's very much capturing the spirit of Galatians. Now, that is, I mean, that was great what he did in the party, but that kind of thing is hard to do. If we think a little bit more deeply beyond good times like parties, and we think about how God wants to shape us, being Christ-like with one another, Paul helps us when things are not parties, but when they're hard. If you want to keep on going with me in chapter 5, 14 and 15, um, he, he talk, he's, he's spoken about serving one another through love. And then he says, For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out or you will be consumed by one another. We often fall into the trap in difficult times of devouring one another. But what God wants is us to be Christ-like and to serve one another in love and to resist the urge to devour and consume one another. And it's amazing, I don't know about your experience, but it's amazing how quickly this can happen. I was a minister in the States and I got asked to be an interim minister for a couple of years in a church where they had essentially consumed and devoured one another. Church of a thousand people, they fell into rivalries between a number of congregations um, and they tore each other apart. And, and the only minister they could get was a random Aussie. No one wanted to go there. It was, it was that bad, okay? Because they hadn't served each other in love. What had happened was they weren't walking according to the Spirit, as Paul would put it here. You need to, as it says in chapter 5, walk by the Spirit, verse 16, so that you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. You know, human beings are extremely powerful. We have these great capacities, physical, intellectual, spiritual. If they are ordered towards bringing each other down, you can do it. It's amazing. You can undermine, you can lie, you can deceive, you can tear people apart if you want to. That's how powerful we are. But that is not the way of Christ. If Christ is formed in you by the Spirit, something amazing can happen. You cannot go with your natural predispositions and you can walk not according to your nature but according to what is being formed in you and you can love and serve. You can march according to the Spirit. What does that look like? Well, it looks a lot like a life of virtue rather than vice. Chapter 5, 22 and following. It looks like having the fruit of the Spirit in your life. And this is love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Imagine living in a community like that, where Christ is formed to such an extent that these are the virtues. This is the way of life. This is who these people are becoming. This is who they are. That would be great. Don't get me wrong, it doesn't mean that you ignore problems and you become a doormat. Galatians is written as a rebuke. Hey guys, come on, what's going on? You're abandoning the grace of Christ. What is going on? He is serving them in love by calling them out. So I'm not saying don't go the hard yards, right? 
But I am saying the way in which you do it, the vibe, the virtues, are the ones according to the Spirit of Christ. And once again, this trades on who God is as God the Trinity. This Spirit in and with whose step we march is the same Spirit, the one who formed and shaped Christ the Messiah for us, who lives in the unity of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And he is the powerful one who can do these things only because he is God the Spirit. Only God can overcome our nature. I remember once I taught a course in Georgia, kind of Plato to postmodernism, in a week and a half. It was the most depressing thing I've ever done. Because you're teaching the history of human beings, and whenever they develop a new technology, they deploy it for war. It's just so, so depressing. Only God can save us. Only God can bring us into his family as fellow heirs with Christ. Only God can create intimacy between one another and himself through the gift of himself. Only God can bring about cultures and individuals that are Christ-like. And we need that right now here in Victoria, in our churches and in our state. This isn't just interesting. This is true and relevant for each one of us. We need to walk by the Spirit and be formed as Christ-like people. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful beyond words. We are surprised that you would love us so much, that you would set us free and make us righteous through your sufferings on the cross. We thank you so much that you care for us and that you didn't abandon us, but that you're kind and that you're patient. Lord God, help us by the Spirit to be like Christ, to follow you and to serve the world in love. Help us and change us and we need your help and one another's help. We pray that here in Victoria and our churches and our parachurch organisations and here at Ridley, you might really be forming us to be Christ-like disciples. Amen. Amen. In response to what we've heard today, can we all please stand together and, uh, and affirm the faith of the church in the words of the Apostles' Creed? You can find that on page 24 of the prayer